Welcome to Trinity. We're a church family learning how to follow Jesus in the city of Nottingham. Our vision is to see the church on fire and the city alive. Our Bible reading this morning is from the book of Revelation, chapter 3, verses 1 to 6. These are the words of him who holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your deeds. You have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up. Strengthen what remains and is about to die. For I have found your deeds unfinished in the sight of my God. Remember, therefore, what you have received and heard. Hold it fast and repent. But if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what time I will come to you. Yet you have a few people in Sardis who have not sold their clothes. They will walk with me dressed in white, for they are worthy. The one who is victorious will, like them, be dressed in white. I will never blot out the name of that person from the book of life, but will acknowledge that name before my Father and his angels." Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. This is the word of the Lord. All right, let's pray for Johnny. Why don't you extend a hand? Um, Also, let's pray for this evening as you become vicar of the parish. Well, Holy Spirit, we thank you that you are here, and we we just thank you for the work in this church. We thank you for the work that you have done and continue to do in St. Andrews as well. And Lord, we are, um, we're joining this adventure, we're joining your adventure. And we pray, Lord, for tonight, we just pray, Lord, for your spirit to go before us spirit to go before Johnny. I pray, Lord, that you would bring such air and excitement into that place of the possibilities of what you're going to do as we join together for your name's sake. And Holy Spirit, now we ask that you would fill Johnny, give him the words to speak um, this morning. And I pray, Lord, that you would give, open our hearts and open our minds to receive everything that you have for us. In Jesus' name. Amen. wasn't very comfortable anyway, so. Should I stick it in the water? Well, it's good to be here this morning. Uh, some of you will know the story of how this church was founded. And there is one particular story. I happened to be telling some friends yesterday who came to visit us, some great friends of ours. Uh, one particular story that 
it gets at the heart of what God is doing in this place, and I think what God wants to do in this place. And as I share from uh, this latest letter to the churches, the seven churches in and from the book of Revelation, I just want to remind us of that story. The story goes a little bit like this. At the end of 2011, there was a man who was asleep. Uh, while he was sleeping, God gave him a dream. God appeared to him in a dream, and he was in this dream driving down the Mansfield Road, which is the road, for those who don't know, just outside this building. The man's name was Don. He's been here the last few weeks. I notice he's not here today. So somebody, would you mark that in the register? That would be great. And uh, as Don was driving down the road in the dream, he, he, saw, he, he saw people walking out of the front of this building And they were wearing all white gowns. And as soon as they came out of the double doors that some of you will have walked through this morning, they fell down on the street and on the pavement. In fact, in in front of his car. So he stopped his car so as not to run them over. And um, as he stopped his car, he got out of his car and began to ask, what's going on here? And he heard a voice saying, this is the work of the Holy Spirit. At that moment, he could hear another voice, this time a minister's voice from inside the building. And so he followed the voice, came through a set of double doors, like the ones at the front, another set of double doors, and was standing in a room, the downstairs room where our children are now, which is where he was, as uh, Providence would have it, when I first met him. And uh, he looked, he surveyed what he saw, what he could see and hear in his dream. And the first thing he said is, I saw worship of the kind I'd never seen in my life before. I could not, it was just, it was heavenly. It was a sense of God, God's presence in the room. And then he said, I could see a minister baptizing people. And as they walked out of this baptism pool, there was a, a, a train of people, a succession of people, a, a line of people. And as they walked out of the baptism pool, they were wearing all white gowns. They processed out of the church into the city, onto the street. And as soon as they did, they were overpowered by the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. This is the end of 2011. I first met Don in mid-2017, on Easter Sunday 2017, when he happened to turn up at our church on our first ever Sunday gathering. And I stood downstairs with him, and he was looking at the building, looking at the room as we had set it up. And he told me the week later, this is exactly like it was in my dream. And uh, as a church planter, a first-time church planter, I have to tell you, it was a significant encouragement. Now, what he told me next was even more encouraging. Uh, We took Don, uh, the week week after, we took him out for a burger, what we do with all our friends. And uh, he, uh, he said to us, look, what happened next was amazing. About six to nine months later, I didn't really do anything with the dream, but about six to nine months later, I had another dream. And in that dream, God opened Isaiah 55 before me and said, you need to go and consecrate that place because I will glorify my name there. And so he did. He, the next Sunday, he came outside just over there, parked his builder's van and uh, prayed Isaiah 55. He walked around the building. He anointed everything he could see with uh, oil, a bit like we've done this morning with Lara. He did that with this building. Again, bearing in mind at this point, this building is derelict and it's boarded up. He, he anointed every, every boarded window, every cobbled street and every single thing. He took an hour and a half consecrating this place for worship. Amazing act of faith. Only the next week, God woke him up again and said, do the same thing, Don. The next week, the same thing. The next week, the same thing. Don realized eventually he, was gonna, he had to come here until God told him to stop. And he did eventually tell him to stop some two years later. 
every single week praying over this building that this would be a place where God would glorify his name for more than two years. Extraordinary thing. Just want to draw your attention back to the white robes. White robes are a picture of surrender. They're a picture of dedication, of of belonging, and of holiness. And what I have a sense of, what from that dream, I'm not even making this up. It's very clear that what God wants to do in this place is to is to build a people, to consecrate a people, to to prepare a people for an outpouring of His Holy Spirit. He wants to. Uh, to, he wants to immerse us is in an environment, to baptize us, to plunge us, uh, using all this baptismal imagery into an environment, an ecosystem, an ecology of his Holy Spirit. And that happens as we're gathered in worship. And then he wants to send us out and to fill us with the power of his Holy Spirit so we can be useful in the city. This whole church on fire, city life thing wasn't just a, a natty phrase that we put together because it would look good on a website. It was a response to what the Holy Spirit, it is a response to what the Holy Spirit has as a call and a commission on this church. The degree to which we walk into that is the degree to which we hear and obey his word. Any prophetic vision is, after all, an invitation. An invitation to intercession, yes, and Don did his part, but also an invitation into levels of surrender and obedience that are the pathway into God's good future. It is not a given that we will get exactly where Don's vision, Don's dream said we would. I believe we will. But there will be steps of surrender required for us to walk into that awakening as a church. It is not, as the French would say, a fait accompli. It is not done and dusted just because Don had the dream. There is a requirement a placed upon us. Paul says uh, in his letter to the church in Corinth, a burden is laid upon me. That's his commission. Woe to me, he says, if I preach not the gospel. But when Don had that dream, a burden was laid upon this church. And if you call this place home, you and I stand, in this case, in your case, you sit this morning under that burden. And that burden is a burden of worship. And that burden is a burden of holiness. I have to be honest, there is more for us. There's certainly more for us than what we showed this morning. There is a burden of worship on this house. A burden of worship. A calling to worship. A commission to worship. And that rests, that doesn't just rest on me. It does rest on me. It rests on Amy. It rests on our team. It rests on us together. And there is a burden of holiness. There are white gowns available for you and I. Not just available, there are white gowns prepared for you and I. God's vision for this church, our vision for this church, is not that we would be famous as a church. It is not that we would be functional as a church. That is better than being dysfunctional as a church. 
It is not that we'd be impressive as a church. It is that we would be alive, that we would be found ready to take up the call for which God has prepared us. And that is the desire of Jesus for every church. Every church has a different spirit, a different call, a different commission, but God's desire is that his church would be found obedient to what his commission is. And we read in the letter to the church in Sardis that the church in Sardis is not smashing it. When it comes to that call, here is what we read. And to the angel of the church in Sardis write, these are the words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your works. You have a name of being alive, but you are dead. Let's stop there for now. It's probably enough. This is the fifth letter of the seven letters written to each of these individual churches, and it's the shortest one. Now, notice if you've been here over the last few weeks, you remember there's a pattern uh, that, that each individual letter begins with an introduction, very brief introduction, after which we learn something about the one who, is, one who is giving this letter, which is Jesus, something that usually relates to the vision of Jesus from the first chapter. Remember, you can go back and look, um, listen to that sermon if you missed it. But this one is not like the the pattern of the previous letters because what happens after that usually is some kind of uh, positive, encouraging message is shared about the, the individual church. Here's what you're doing well. Here's a piece of positive feedback for you. And yet when it comes to Sardis, there is absolutely nothing positive that Jesus has to say He simply says this, you have a name of being alive, but you are dead. The word name there, onoma, from which we get the word name, funnily enough. And uh, you could say, you know, if if Fraser here has a name, Fraser, but if I spoke about his name, I'd be speaking not just about the word Fraser, I'd be speaking about his reputation, which you have to say Fraser is very good in your case. Someone's name is is more than just the the thing that you call them to get their attention when you are irritated. Johnny, uh, as Amy would say, or if if she's irritated, Jonathan, or you. Your name speaks of your reputation. And this church in Sardis has a very, very good reputation. A reputation of being alive. But not with God. Jesus says, but you are dead. Now this, this church, reputation of being alive, it's the it church. It is the church. You know, you go to these conferences, don't you? And, and the speaker is introduced. And such and such today is speaking and is leading the fastest growing church in the galaxy. Right? You've been to those kind of moments, those conferences. Does your heart sink as mine sinks? Because my question is always, and? And? Commentators suggest that there is a lot going on in this church. This is a fabulously wealthy church. It is a hive of activity. There are, the sacraments are being celebrated. There is sound doctrine. They are running an alpha course every term. Not just annually, but every term. This is the largest church of the seven churches. The largest. How big is your church? Sardis, a bit larger than your church. This is the place. The, there isn't social media. In the first century, it will disappoint you to know, kids. 
But if there was, the Instagram game of this church would have been on point, as I think the young ones say these days. But this church is lacking in one essential respect. This church's name is not great in heaven. Jesus says, I have not found your deeds or your works complete. Literally full up. Your works aren't full up. There's something missing. Something is lacking. In whose sight? Well, it says here, in the sight of my God. You're famous on earth, Sardis, but you ain't famous in heaven. Your reputation in heaven is lacking. Something is missing. There is a hole at the heart of who you are. Your church has it all on the outside, according to everyone, except God isn't pleased. What's going on inside us? It seems that in spite of all the order, in spite of all the output, the books that are being written, the podcasts that are being released, and all the other good stuff, and that stuff is good stuff, let's not denigrate it. The church isn't awake to the power and to the reality of God. Why do I say that? Well, the word that emerges twice in the letter is, is the word, or the, the command, in fact, the imperative is wake up. Verse 2, wake up and strengthen what remains and is on the point of death. And then, if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief. And you will not know at what hour I will come to you. Wake up twice. The problem here in Sardis is that the church is asleep. One commentator said, there is a, a little bit of ecclesiastical sleepwalking. going on. The church, let me put it in another phrase, the church is going through the motions. You ever done that? Spiritual life, tick the box. Bible in the air, done it. (laughs) Done my giving. Share my faith. Bish, bash, bosh. Move on. You know, we can sleepwalk through days in our discipleship, and then days become weeks, and then weeks become years, and then years become decades, and then we die. We missed missed it. We missed... We missed it. We missed being alive. We missed, we, we missed being alive. Being alive in God. Being alive in God. That's what we missed. And maybe we were a Christian. And maybe we went to church. But we weren't alive. We lived a zombie faith. And a zombie faith is no better than a dead faith. In fact, it's worse. Because you cannot resurrect a zombie. Something's dead, you can resurrect it. 
that lives in this place between life and death. You can't do anything to it. That's the whole point of zombies. You can't destroy them. They live in this liminal space between life and death. And that is the worst place for any church to live. The point, I think, is that it's so easy to be like Sardis and to become satisfied with zombie life. Just to kind of get used to it. Maybe because people are saying, so alive. Because we're focused on our reputation, how we're appearing before other people. And quite quickly, that becomes the measure of success. Other people say I look spiritually alive. And therefore, I must be. We can become accommodated, come used to the idea that we can live in a zombie world, in a zombie faith. You know, that we see this all the way through Scripture. There are cycles of decline and renewal, decline and renewal. You know, if you, want, if you want an example, you want to do some homework, read the book of Judges. Read the book of Judges. Decline. The people forget God. They end up in spiritual ruin, which always manifests itself materially. Crops fail, they start worshipping other gods. There is always an inextricable link between where your spirit is, the spirit of a nation, the spirit of a church, the spirit of an individual, and the economic stuff, and the other stuff. Decline happens, people cry out to God because they get a vision for how terrible life is. And how much better it would be if only we followed God like our forebears did. They call out to God. God raises up a deliverer, whether that be Deborah, Barak, Gideon, Samson. Go on. They're delivered. And they become used to their prosperity and they decline again. This is the cycle of renewal. It doesn't just happen for the people of Israel. It happens in the church as well. But every so often, God calls the church and awakens the church. Sardis needs to wake up. God says, church, awake. Awake to the wonder and the reality of life in me. Awaken, church, come awake. And that, those seasons are called awakenings. They're called revivals. They're called renewals. You use your own term. Richard Lovelace Quoting Jonathan Edwards, I am quoting him via John Tyson, just to be completely honest. If you want to listen to anyone on this at the moment, listen to John Tyson. But Lovelace says, quoting Edwards via Tyson, Revival is not a special season of extraordinary religious excitement. Rather, it's an outpouring of the Holy Spirit, which restores the people of God to normal spiritual life. After seasons of radical decline, periods of spiritual decline occur in history because of the gravity of indwelling sin. And it keeps pulling believers first into formal religion and secondly into often open, sorry, apostasy. You know, Sardis has got formal religion. Looks good on the outside, but there's no life on the inside. Sardis was on its way to open apostasy. I simply share that quote to say this to you. Revival, revived faith, living faith is the norm. What you and I see around us in the church in this age, in the church in the West, is not normal. It is not normal. 
And it isn't what we should be expecting for our spiritual life. It isn't what we should accept or expect for the church in our time. God wants more. More is available for you and for me. Guys, this is good stuff. Are we awake to it? Are we alive to it? Or are we stuck somewhere between life and death? Are we awake and alive to the kingdom of God, the reality of the rule and the reign of God? Are we awake to what it means to be spiritually alive? Are we awake to the holiness of God and the demands that that places on us as disciples of Jesus? Are we awake to confession, the power and the gift of it? Many of us are being awoken to confession just now. Are we awake to the power and the necessity of a wholehearted surrender to Christ? In these days, are we awake to the gift and the joy of evangelism, sharing our faith with our neighbor? Are we awake to the signs of living faith in the midst of the community of faith? Are we awake to the community of the saints encouraging us in our praise and our worship? Are we awake to the Holy Spirit, the Lord who is the giver of life? Are we awake to the power of prayer, to the necessity of intercession, of getting on our knees before God and praying for an inbreaking of his spirit for the sake of the world in these days? Are we awake to the beauty of Christ and to the value and the surpassing, all surpassing value of worshiping him? Or are we at the end of the worship time saying, that went on a bit long. My my chicken is burning in the oven. Get on with it, pastor. Maybe that is fair comment. Are we awake to the hope set before us in the gospel? I can't do this for you. But note the dynamic in Sardis. There are a few. Verse four, yet you still have a few persons in Sardis who have not soiled their clothes. They will walk with me dressed in white. Where there are a few, there is hope. This is how a spiritual awakening happens. A few. One shall tell another. And she shall tell her friends. Fire catches, fire catches, fire And a few becomes a horde, and a horde becomes a mass. You only need a few set on fire, living a completely surrendered life. Revival awakening never happens with the many. A little bit of yeast leavens the dough, a little bit of salt. The desperate ones, if that's you today, show us what it means to be surrendered. Release your pure, wholehearted worship. Don't look at anyone else. Look at him. We all need a vision of what it means to live in a wholly surrendered way. So, let me land this. What does this mean for us today? Well, this has individual and institutional significance for us. Firstly, let me deal with the individual. I think there is a call on you and on me. 
to live in a wholly surrendered way at this time, even if you've never seen it done. The Spirit of God is leading us beyond what any of us have seen. And there are times in history where we don't have the privilege of looking around us or even looking directly before us for a model. There was a man called Josiah, a reformer. And he he was from, a. this is in the people of Israel, he was a king, he became a king at eight years of age. And he looked around him for models of what it could look like to be a holy, pure, and righteous leader. And he could find none. And it says that when, it says says when it introduces Josiah that he was the son of David. Now David was generations and generations and generations before, but Josiah looked back in history because he couldn't look around him. And he said, my father, my spiritual father is King David. He chose his own spiritual father. He's like, that's the legacy I want to inherit. And you and I think individually have to do that today. Who do you want to inherit a spiritual legacy from? Corrie ten Boom? Great. She's your mother. King David? Fine. He can be your father. There is an invitation, I think, for us to step into what it means to be awake in a new way. But I wonder too, and that's the fulfillment, isn't it, of Don's vision. But I wonder too if there is something on this church. Institutionally, the Church of England is right on the cusp of death. We live in a time of profound spiritual death and spiritual decline. And we cannot go on simply baptizing that, allowing that, accepting that. Why? Not because we want to resurrect the church of England, but we want to see the church in England on fire for the sake of this nation. How many millions of people deride the name of Jesus or don't even know the name of Jesus? Because they've never seen a community of people on fire for Jesus. Leslie Newbegin says the best, the greatest hermeneutic or interpretive principle of the gospel, unpacking of the gospel, is a church that actually believes it. And we have dead and dusty buildings full of people. You know, it's just no criticism of this, but all they do is run soup kitchens. I'm all for soup kitchens, but that is a desecration of of what a church is actually for. Churches are for the wholehearted and whole worship of Christ Jesus. To put him, to make him, make his praise glorious, to make him famous in the earth. And if all we're doing is handing out a few cans of food, we're missing it. That stuff's important. That always comes from worship. But it is time. It is time that we took seriously what it might mean to claim back the heart of the church in this nation. Could a few people, could a few churches influence the whole? Could a few people wearing white gowns change the whole situation in a church? Could we see a great renewal of the church in these days? Not for the sake of the name of a church, a leader, a pastor, but a nameless renewal for the sake of a nation. For the glory of Jesus. That is our vision. That is Jesus' vision. So what do we do if we want to see that? Very quickly, five, five points. 
taking less than a minute each. Firstly, wake up. Jesus says, wake up. Be vigilant. This is a present continuous verb. Stay on the watch. Watch out. This is a moment. I say this to you with all affection. What has got us here is not going to get us where we need to go. We need to raise the level of intensity. You think I'm intense now? Give it six months. The shouting. I'm serious. There is so much more. I want to blow this roof off with your praise. Be on the watch. There's more for you to give to him, not to me. More for you to give to him. Don't hold anything back. Secondly, strengthen what remains. Stop what's not working, institutionally and individually, and let's invest in what is. Let what is dead die. Don't try and resurrect the zombie parts of your spiritual life. Invest in where there's life. I said this to a group of interns the other day, a group of apprentices in our diocese. If your, if your spirituality is not leading to life, get a new spirituality. Don't flog the dead horse. Invest in what's bringing life. Thirdly, Focus on what you have received and what you heard. What have you received? The Holy Spirit. What did you hear? The gospel of Jesus. Let's come back to the Spirit and Jesus. Fourthly, hold on. Keep on obeying. Stay attached. Spiritual life is like being on a water skis behind a boat. I don't know if you've ever done that, but you have to hold on for dear life. You do nothing to create momentum. But if you're holding on, you remain connected, there's a good chance that you will keep moving forward. Hold on. Keep on obeying. Stay attached. And finally, repent. We are in a series, a season, I think, of repentance. That's what the Holy Spirit's doing. But I think there is, by the Spirit of God, a moment, a window of opportunity at this point in time for us to get right with God so that he might renew us. Can we pray? Maybe you would stand with me. Neil's going to come and uh, lead us in response. Aware of time, we need to some of us will need to pick children up just momentarily, but well, I don't want to sleepwalk my way through my life. I do not know how to get from where I am to where I would like to be and where you would like me to be. I have no idea except that it must be to do with giving you more. Has to be to do with more, more of you and less of me. And so I say, I ask, I pray that you would come and show me what that means. And I pray not just for myself, but for every person in this room. For this house, we want to walk into all that you have for us. We don't know how to get there. 
done the programs, done the formal stuff. Thank you for it, God, but it isn't enough. We need more of you. So I pray that you would give us more of you. Holy Spirit, come near. Not by might, not by shouting, human affectation, but by divine gift. Holy Spirit, come. Thank you.